well, if you're able to stand, let's stand and do our chorus, Lead Me to Some Soul Today. That's a great chorus. every day. Let's go ahead and sing it one more time together. Ready? Lead me to some soul today. Oh, teach me, Lord, just what to say. Friends of mine are lost in sin and cannot find their way. You there are who seem to care. If you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. If you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. There are many dangers that we all must face. If we die of fighting, it is no disgrace. Coward in the service, he will find no place. So keep on the firing line. You must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run, nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. When we get to heaven, brother, we'll be glad. Keep on the firing line. How we'll praise the Savior for the call we had. Keep on the firing line. When we see the souls that we have helped to win, leading them to Jesus from the paths of sin, with a shout of welcome we will all march in. So keep on the firing line. You must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. You must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing. 
I'd like to say something real quick. Uh, I just want a real big thank you uh, to the entire church um, for Morgan and I. Uh, I came here five years ago, and uh, first thing I saw was Morgan, <laughs> and that was a tremendous blessing, and she has been ever since. And I want to thank each and every one of you who has had a part in her life, uh, making her who she is today, and uh, helping me become who I am today as well. And it's been uh, just a privilege and an honor to be a part of this family. You guys have been such a big blessing to us. And uh, it is far more painful than it looks to leave this place. And we're, we're so grateful for the support and for the foundation that's been laid here. I want you guys all to know that. So great a God is our God. Thou art the God that dost wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people.
has been our dwelling place in all generations. Before thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Wasn't that great? Man. Amen. Well, that's wonderful. Boy, I tell you what, I don't know about you, but it was encouraging for me to look across that group and recognize the fact that probably wasn't anybody over 30. I like that. Again, I'm I'm not opposed to people my age singing, but I'll tell you what, it's encouraging to see a group of young people up there singing about how great our God is. I'll tell you what, our future is our young people, and I'll tell you, I'm going to be frank with you. We spend a lot of time and money on young people around here, and let me just say this. I'm I'm going to be very honest and open with you. I personally believe a lot of money's wasted because it starts in the home. The problem is we're trying to rectify problems in our homes at the church house. You can't fix young people from the church house. Young people get fixed in the home. And I'm telling you now, there's nothing wrong with a good youth program. We need it. It's important. It's valuable. It's profitable. But there's not one thing the church can do to keep these young people flying straight if there's no support in the home. I want to encourage you to never throw away your God. You make sure he's first and foremost in your home. Don't think somehow that the church house can rectify the imbalance that we find in the household. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. We are spending millions of dollars in churches, millions of dollars, trying to save our young people. Let me tell you what. The best thing to save our young people is to have strong homes, strong marriages. And I'm telling you, work at your marriage and work at your home. Give your children a fighting chance in the world in which we live. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. I'm not sure, but as I look across that group there today, I, I don't think there was one young person up here who didn't come from a home rooted in the Lord. I don't think. 
I'm trying to think, as I look across, I think every one of them were brought up in homes where their parents were serving the Lord. Now listen, I'm, I'm not saying it can't happen otherwise. We know some of you are products of Christ saving your soul and changing the course of your family. But I'm telling you, if we want to continue to raise children, I talked to a man the other day that said, of all the people in the ministry that he was involved in years ago, many of the young people that were called to ministry that ultimately are serving in the ministry today were out of homes where there were parents that were faithful to God. Listen, there's something to that. It's not that it has to be that way. So many of you, probably my age and older, some of you were saved out of sin and you took the lead and saw your families transformed and changed of what Christ did as a result of your decisions. But I'm telling you, it makes a difference. And I want to encourage you, do not give up on God. Don't give up on the house of God. And don't give up on the word of God. All right, the the judgment seat of Christ. We're talking about, our series has been on this issue of finishing strong. And today I want to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. Because, I mean, that's kind of where it kind of all culminates, isn't it? That's where finally we get to the end and it's at that point, it's either been done or it hasn't been done. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it, it gives us a picture of this judgment that's going to take place. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is a powerful passage, and I want to begin by reading it, and then I'm going to give you a basic overview of a timeline so that you understand where it fits in line or in, in, in perspective with other things in the Bible. And then we're going to go ahead and discuss a few things about this judgment seat we're going to talk a little bit more about it. We'll make a very brief application about how, we can, how it can be important and affect our, uh, our finishing strong. And so let's go, ahead and, uh, uh, let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer right now, and then we'll read our passage. Father, I come to you, and I just pray that you'd bless us. Thank you, Father, for the choir. Thank you for the special music. We're grateful for the opportunity to gather in your house. Now, Lord, speak to our hearts through the Word of God today. May you be glorified in everything that's said and done. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Fellas, if you can put that uh, picture there up, if you've ever found it yet. I kind of gave it late notice, but boom, there it is. I felt like John Madden there for a moment. <laughs> boom. Remember how you used to do those fast acting to acting commercials? Anyway, some of you have no idea, but that's showing my age a little bit, all right? All right, so nonetheless, we have big events on God's calendar, and what we're going to see is the cross represents, of course, Jesus Christ dying on Calvary. And so we see that, oh, many years ago, a couple thousands of years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ did. He came to earth, and he walked the dusty trails of Galilee. He gave his very best for you and I, perfect Savior coming to an imperfect world in order to save imperfect man. And there he died on Calvary, and the next picture we see is, is the tomb, and notice that the tomb is empty. Then we go on here to what's often referred to as the church age or the dispensation of grace. And that's kind of where we're at right now. And what we're waiting for is the return of Jesus Christ. And you'll notice there there's kind of a U that faces back up to the sky. 
It's showing Christ coming down in the clouds, but not coming all the way to the earth. And therefore, he's going to reclaim or take his bride out of this earth and out of this world and unto himself. So we have the cross and we have the tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He lives, he lives. And yet now we have the church age and that's where we're at now. Many believe that we're in what would be referred to or called the Laodicean church period. If indeed you take chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation and you apply them over, over history or over time. So now the rapture is what we're waiting on. The Lord Jesus to return. Boy, I hope he comes before I die. I hope I don't have to go through death. I hope I don't have to enter the grave. I hope he comes back before I die. But then once he resurrects the church out, there's a a portion of history that's not so kind. It's not so nice. It's called the tribulation period. As a matter of fact, it's going to be a very bad time. That's what the word tribulation has to do with. And we see that it's divided into two halves, three and a half years and three and a half years. It's a seven-year tribulation, but the Bible refers to the last three and a half as great tribulation. God is going to judge his people. God is going to judge the earth. And he's going to begin dealing with Israel again, whereas now he's dealing with the church. If a, if a, a Jewish person wants to be uh, in the family of God, they have to come the same way a Gentile does through Jesus Christ. You don't go through the Jewish faith, you go through the Christian faith. You go through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. And so now in this dispensation of grace, we all come to Christ the same way. Jew and Gentile alike. One body, one spirit. And here we have the rapture, and then the tribulation kicks off. And God now, removing the church, the body of Christ out of the earth, he now begins to deal with the Jews and he deals with those Gentiles that were, had crucified his son as well as had continued to persecute through the years. But you'll notice above the tribulation, it's hard to see because the picture's not very large, there's what's called the judgment seat of Christ. So we have the rapture of the church, the tribulation on earth, and while the tribulation is taking place on earth, in heaven there is a judgment taking place, the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what we just read about in chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. We're reading about that time in history when, in the future, I should say, excuse me, not history, but the time in the future when the tribulation will have kicked off and you and I will be with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven being judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, judgments are basically a means of accountability. We are, we have a, 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 I guess, a stewardship, if you will, of health and wealth and abilities that God has given to you and I. And he says, once you've been saved, I want you to use it for my glory and I'm going to hold you accountable at the judgment seat of Christ. He is the creator. We are the creature. No one will escape judgment. Now, they may not go to this judgment. This judgment is for the church. This judgment are for those who have received and accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. But there's coming a judgment we see called the great white throne judgment. Of course, once the, the church has been raptured, when the tribulation begins on earth, we have the judgment seat of Christ in heaven simultaneously. At that point, Christ then returns with the church in chapter 19 of Revelation, and boom, the millennium kicks off after Armageddon, of course. After a big battle takes place, the devil's locked away for a thousand years. He's chained. And now 
the Lord Jesus Christ establishes himself and sets on the seat of the, on the throne of David in Jerusalem. And there he rules and reigns. We reign with him for a thousand years. He rules and reigns. And then at the end of a thousand years, Satan is released again. He goes about deceiving the nations all over again. And there's a big battle. Of course, just like before, Jesus simply speaks and it's over. And then we have the great white throne judgment. So there are judgments and judgments are accountability is all they are. And we have a God who is creator that says to his creation, whether or not you like it, whether or not you agree with it, I'm holding you accountable for what I've given you, what I've entrusted to you. The Bible tells us that the works of God declare him. Over in the book of Romans chapter 1, you need only see, uh, read very quickly that, that nature itself is proof positive that there's a God that created all things. It's not by coincidence or chance that the devil's attacking the creation. Why wouldn't he? Because if he can undermine God as creator, he can undermine God completely. But God says, no, everyone's going to stand before God. Before me in some way, some shape, some form. Judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment. Either way, you're going to be judged. Either way, you're going to be held accountable. And so we notice a couple of things in our passage. First of all, I notice the judgment itself. The judgment. When we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we note the judgment. Notice, first of all, he says over there in verse 11, he says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I want you to realize, first of all, that judgment is for the saved. Because again, he makes it very clear that there's a foundation that's been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, he moves into your life. He takes up residency in your life. You are planted on a solid rock, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. This judgment, then, is directed at and for the believer. It's for the saved, in verse 11. But not only that, in verses 12, we notice that he goes on to say, Now if any man build upon this foundation, the foundation being Christ himself and that that element of salvation, if he build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. He says, it's not a sin judgment then. It's a works judgment. Again, notice he says, if any man... Build upon this foundation. The foundation was laid. It's Jesus Christ. You are solid and firm on Jesus Christ if you know him as Savior and Lord. It's not a matter of whether your salvation holds true because your salvation isn't based on you or your ability to receive, uh, to receive it, nor is it based on your ability to keep it. God provided it. You only accepted it in that regard. But the fact is, is that his salvation is as secure today as it will be tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next millennium, and forever and ever and ever. But now the question is, what are you going to build on that foundation? What are you going to do with your life as a child of God now? What are you going to do with the talent, the treasure? What are you going to do with the time that God has given you? It's not a sin judgment, but a works judgment. And in verse 13, we learn something else. It says, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. The Bible's telling us that our, our works will be made manifest. That means they're going to be revealed. I said, I don't know about you, but it's not hard to fool people. 
I mean, as a fellow, you could come here with a tie on and a, 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 a suit and you could uh, look the part and act the part and talk the part and, and appear to be the part, but truly be wicked and sinful and dead inside. But boy, they said, boy, he's a good Christian. Man, he, he is really solid. He's really got it going. Man, he quotes scripture from time to time. And he's always saying amen. And boy, he says, praise the Lord. Man, that is a good Christian right there. There, that guy right there is the epitome of Christianity. Man, I say you could be lying and faking us all out. But let me tell you something. Your works will be made manifest. They will be revealed one day. You may get over now and you may feel as though somehow you're really making it big on the stage of life and things are going so smoothly and you've got a whole life and you're just holding on to this reputation or this particular testimony that you have kind of created in the minds of others and in even your own mind maybe, but I'm telling you, there's coming a day, a reckoning day, when you're going to stand before the God of all heaven and you're going to give an account for what you've done and what you've thought and where you've been and who you've been with. My friend, God's going to hold you accountable and there's nothing that's going to be secret in that day. Because those works will be made manifest and revealed. But here's the thing. It's not just what you do. It's the motives by which you do it. Isn't that something? You can literally serve your whole life for Jesus and end up getting to heaven and have nothing to show for it. Because you were doing it in bitterness. You're doing it in strife. You're doing it for self-glory. You're doing it for a pat on the back. You're not doing it for God. You're not doing it for thankfulness and gratitude toward him. My goodness, wouldn't it be sad to spend your whole life as a preacher up here preaching and proclaiming the word of God and sacrificing for others and doing all that you do and then to find out you get there and it was all about you the whole time. It'd all be burned up because your motives weren't right. But that can happen to you too. See, our works will be manifest or revealed both the deeds and the motives So this judgment's for the saved. It's not a sin judgment, though. It's a works judgment. And the works will be manifest and revealed, both the deeds and the motives. But we learn in verse 14 something else. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. What we find is what passes safely through the fire of judgment will be our reward. Our deeds will be judged, yes, but if it passes through the fire, if it passes the test, it'll still be left behind, and it'll be our reward. I don't know about you, that's pretty encouraging. I like that. Notice verse 15, though, we learned something else. If any man's work shall be burned... He shall suffer loss. Now remember, here we are. We're on this foundation. And the foundation is none other than Jesus Christ. We begin to build things on that foundation. Gold, silver, precious stone being amassed, or wood, hay, stubble. And what we do with our life and in our life as a result is going to pass through the fire. The one constant is the foundation. Notice he says in the passage, 
He simply says, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. It's gone. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You're going to pass through personally in that sense, and you're going to come out on the other end. You won't be burned up with the works that are not for Christ. You may live your life, and listen to me, I, I'm, I am not going to sit here and try to scare you into serving Jesus. I'm not going to sit here and try to manipulate your feelings and cause you to say, man, I better stay on the straight and narrow. I won't get to heaven now. Biblically and scripturally, it has nothing to do with whether you're saved or not, how you live your life specifically. Let me tell you something, though. If you're a child of God, may I say, I'm having a real hard time when we'll live our lives however we choose without any conviction or any kind of remorse, and we'll sit there and say, well, I said a prayer, I got saved, everything's fine. Let me tell you, friend, you better start double-checking some things. This idea that you get saved and nothing changes is amazing. Fellas, let me ask you, uh, what, what, what happens if your mother-in-law moves in this week? Your mother-in-law moves into your house. Is that going to change your life? I mean, we're afraid to say those things nowadays, right? Because you're afraid your wife will beat you up later. But let me tell you something. If, if something that simple moves in and can create a whole new lifestyle and, and affect your life daily and regularly, how much more will God, the God of heaven moving into your life, affect you? How ridiculous is it to think that we can be saved and nothing change? Yet I'm not going to sit here and try to scare you into staying faithful. The grace of God's sufficient. Boy, that foundation has been laid. So what we learn then, real basically, as far as just summarizing it is, what we know is that this judgment is for the saved. It's not a sin judgment, but a works judgment. Our works are going to be made manifest and revealed, both deeds and motives, and only what passes through safely, safely through the fire of judgment, will be our reward. But no matter the outcome, we're saved and saved, saved can be. Now, I don't know about you, but doesn't it bother you to think that all that matters to the believer would be that they're saved? No one, nothing else mattered. That'd be a bother to you. Doesn't that upset you to think that someone could feel that way? Well, I'm saved, so who cares? I'll live how I want, do what I want. I'm saved. I don't know about you, but I start to, I, I, I don't know. I have no right to judge another man's salvation, but I'm going to tell you this. I, I'm having a hard time with that. I'm struggling with that. Maybe you don't, but I do. I don't care. Go ahead and say, you say whatever you want about me. You can say, well, he doesn't, he believes in works. He believes in this and he believes in that. Oh, he, no, no, he doesn't. He believes in grace through faith, but I'm going to tell you something. I believe in a changed life. I don't know. If God can do it in my life, he can do it in your life, then he can do it in everyone's life. This idea that we just go, well, I'm, I'm getting off track. I've got to stay on the topic. So we see the judgment. Not only that, we note the judge, justice. There's justice that's going to take place. In John chapter 5, turn there, would you please? We've got to move quickly because this message is really, really not... I've I got to get through the preliminary so that I can get to the message. I mean, I've got a whole page of notes yet to get through. That picture took me too long to get through. But don't you like to hear those things? Isn't that good stuff? 
I mean, it, is, it helps us when we know where we're at in history, where we know where we're at on the, 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 the Bible uh, uh, historical scale, so to speak. It gives us some idea of where we're going and what's to look forward to. The justice, John chapter 5, verse 22 and verse 27. I'm going to read those together. It goes, For the Father uh, judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. He goes on to say, And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Jesus Christ knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what I'm going through. He is the Son of Man. He may have been God in flesh. Yes, indeed he was. He was Emmanuel, God with us, no doubt about it. But he also was a man. He had the flesh of a man. He had the temptation of man. He had to address and deal with the same issues and problems and temptations that you and I do. And he says, guess what? Jesus is going to do the judging. I don't know about you, but Jesus has been through it. He knows what it takes to get through it. Well, I'm waiting on Jesus. He's going to be merciful. I'm going to go ahead and live how I want, do what I want, and and I'm saved, but, you know, I'm just not real consecrated. I'm not real separated. I'm not really in, all in. I I mean, I'm partially in. I'm partially out. And Jesus will understand. Wait, he's the son of man. Remember, he went through what you did and victoriously came out. I'm going to tell you, don't, listen, don't be looking for God's mercy when it comes time to that judgment seat. You better do what's right because he's going to judge you justly. And by the way, he can't give you a break if he don't give me a break. And if he gives me a break and you a break, he's got to give everybody a break if he's truly just. And if he's going to give us all breaks, then what's the point of having a judgment? There's no real accountability. If there aren't consequences, then there's no real accountability. So you can rest for sure. Now, this is also a good thing. It's not just a bad thing. You can rest assured that you're going to get a fair shake from him. You know how it is. You look around and you say, man, they're judging me injustly. They don't know my heart. Well, God does, so I promise you, you'll get just judgment. You won't have to worry about him thinking something that isn't true or saying something about you that isn't true. No, you're going to get a fair shake from him. But on the other hand, he's not going to overlook things. He won't overlook the good, but he also won't overlook the bad. And, and he may be a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, but he is a righteous judge. So therefore, he cannot dismiss wrongdoing, and, and he has to be fair across the board. And if you, listen, you and Jesus do not have an understanding. If you believe you have an understanding, the only understanding you have is a misunderstanding. Well, you know, me and Jesus, we've talked about it, and it's okay for me. I know for you it's not right. I know for you you have a problem with that. I realize that you believe this and that, but it's okay with me. Me and Jesus, we got our own agreement. You got a misunderstanding is what you got. I, I grow weary of this way. Everybody has their sin, so you know what? Whatever. So just hold on to yours, right? It gives you the right to hold on to yours because you're going to claim everybody else has their secret sin. So just go ahead and not be perfect before God. Just go ahead and not be separated unto God. Go ahead and just live your life a failure for Jesus Christ because you're used everybody else as an excuse not to be right with God. I'm going to tell you, Jesus, I don't want to go to whole water with him. By the way, Jesus, I had my sin, he had his. He'll be like, yeah, but you had me. I was indwelling you. I gave you power to overcome sin in your life, and yet you chose to accept the excuse that the devil gave. And I tell you, he's a just God. 
If you believe you got an understanding with God, the only understanding you got is a misunderstanding. And finally, the joy. Man, there's so much joy. Think about it in 1 Corinthians 3, 14. If any man's work abide which he had built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing it is to receive a reward at the hand of our master. Like we deserve anything anyway, and yet he's going to give us a reward on top of it all. That's amazing to me. To hear well done. Isn't that what we want? I mean, if you want to finish strong, you want to hear well done, right? Do you want to finish strong? (laughs) Serious, it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know that we always do want to finish strong. I don't think we consider it from that perspective. I think we look at it from a daily life. Well, today I'm just, I would rather just kind of hedge toward the world a little bit today. We don't think of it in light of eternity. We don't consider it as, what if I died this very moment? Would I finish strong? I'm telling you, we need to finish strong. We need to consider eternity every day of our life. We don't just wait till we think it's time for us to die to think about eternal matters. I mean, to receive a reward at the hand of our Jesus, like being saved from our sin isn't enough. Like being indwelt by the Spirit isn't already enough. Being given an eternal home in heaven isn't already enough. He then turns around and says, guess what? If you will live your life selflessly, if you will give yourself to my cause, if you will allow me to rule and reign in your life, on the throne of your life, I'm going to extend to you a reward. After everything you've done, you're going to do that too? It's terrible how unmotivated we are as believers today. There, there's a part, look, I'm going to share this. You know, this idea that, brother, I don't do it for reward. I just do it because I love Jesus. Well, that's fine. Go ahead, keep doing it. But there's nothing wrong with me saying, praise God for the reward. He's the one that says it should motivate me. He's the one that says it should move me. He's the one that says a just God is going to judge you and if you will have lived your life according to the word of God you have that to look forward to I don't care if I get any rewards I do you know what you get to do with rewards you get to use them you know how you get to use them you get to say Jesus thank you go ahead go empty handed to him I don't know about you but I want to have a bunch I want, I want to have to say, hey, Peter, Paul, hey, some of you disciples, get over here and help me hold these to Jesus' feet. I would like to, that to be the case. But that won't be the case if I don't handle things right. Now, hold on. How do we ensure then that we have a reward awaiting us? Because that's really the question then, isn't it? How practically speaking, what do we need to do? Well, again, you, you know, um, Part of me mentioning uh, my son-in-law and daughter leaving is because I'm going to include them in the message now. They're really happy about that. But they're moving across the country. They're going from Akron, Ohio to like Seattle, Washington area. All the way across the country. I mean, it is a haul out there. So you know what they did? They collected all their possessions. They packed them in a shipping container. Now, they're going to take a trip across the country, the two of them, and it'll probably last at least four days. 
And along that journey, they're going to stop and enjoy it. They're going to enjoy the journey. I hope. Hope the car keeps running. You know, you, go, you know where I'm going with that as a parent. I'll trust the Lord with that. But nonetheless, they're going to cross the country and they're going to enjoy the journey. And when they arrive at their destination, that container is going to be waiting for them. Do you know what? That container was sent ahead. They filled it full. They sent it ahead. And it's waiting on them when they arrive at their destination. Let me ask you, what have you sent ahead or forwarded to heaven that is going to be waiting for you when you complete your journey here? Yeah, we're just making a trip across the country and we're planning and we're preparing and we're readying ourselves for that journey. And so we have to prepare for the future. We have to make sure that our belongings are where they are. We need to make sure that that we send things ahead, that they, they meet us there on the other side of the country. We'll spend time and energy and money and effort to get that done. But when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, when it comes to finishing strong, when it comes to pleasing God with our life so that eternity is sweet, my friend, we don't. We get stingy with our time. We get stingy with our efforts. We get stingy with our intellect. We get stingy with our finances. We get stingy and we send nothing ahead. And as a result, there'll be nothing waiting. And we'll be sorely disappointed when that day comes. And someone says, I don't like you getting upset about that. Maybe it's because you haven't sent nothing forward. I'll tell you something. You'll hear those words ring in your ears at the judgment seat of Christ one day. And you'll be like, man, I regret that. Do you know what we have to look forward to if we don't do things God's way? The Bible says there'll be regrets. First of all, we'll be found ashamed of His coming. Not only that, but we'll lose potential reward. Not only that, but we'll have failure to receive approval. Not only that, but the realization of wasted time and potential will hit us square in the face. That helpless feeling of, I wish I would have, will be all that we have in eternity. And then the responsibility for lost loved ones will be realized finally as we see them cast headlong into eternity to a place called the lake of fire. All because we didn't send ahead. You know, I'm saving for retirement now. It took me a while to get to that place where I could do that, and I've been doing that, and I'm trying to be extremely diligent in doing so right now. And I'm placing money in an account for the future. And one day when I arrive at that place in my life, if God gives me those years, I will have something waiting for me. Let me ask you, what investment are you making in this life that will benefit you in the future? What are you sending ahead? What are you forwarding to heaven that's going to ensure that you finish strong? We need to send some things ahead. We need to prepare for the judgment seat and for our futures. Let me ask you, are you forwarding your time? What kind of time do you give to God and His work and His service? What kind of time do you give to the local church? What kind of time do you give to learning more about Him and growing in Christ and knowing Him? What kind of time do you spend meeting the needs of others? 
Are you forwarding your time? What about this? Are you forwarding your treasures? I'm not going to sit and complain about a church. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I marvel that the bills get paid. I marvel that God continues to bless and use the people of God to do it. Oh, uh, let me tell you, we could use a lot more, but let me say this. I'm very grateful for what God is doing already. I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing. I'm not complaining. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But here's the thing. Remember the widow that gave a mite? It wasn't the amount. It was what she gave. Remember, there were others that gave so much money. I mean a lot of money. But they had it to give. She gave out of her want. She didn't even have it to give and she gave it. All I'm saying is, is when we get to heaven one day, we will never regret giving of our treasures to him. You won't go, boy, I wish I'd have saved that for a Big Mac. I wish I'd have saved that for a Starbucks coffee. I went to Freddy's the other day. Let me tell you something. That sandwich was out of this world. But if I gave up a Freddy's to give to missions, I don't think I'd regret that one day, and neither would my belt line. Are you forwarding your time? Are you forwarding your treasure? How about are you forwarding your talent? God gives us talents and abilities. Are you using them for God? You say, I'm really good with kids. All right, so what class are you teaching? What bus are you running? Just what junior church are you teaching? I'm really good with kids. Really? I love children. Working in the nursery? I love being a grandma. You working in the nursery? Well, no. Why aren't you forwarding some of your talent? I'm just telling you, we have talent. Oh, I can play a piano. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, I walked by a Sunday school class that didn't have a piano player this Sunday morning. I'll be frank with you. I was upset about that. I thought to myself, how boring it sounds in there without a piano player. When we got piano players, why isn't somebody volunteering to play that piano for Sunday school in the morning? And if somebody was sick, why didn't somebody step up and do that? Why didn't somebody forward some of their talent? I mean, we've got a great piano player, but she can't play for everything. And we've got other piano players, and I know they're busy all over the place, but let's work it out. Let's make sure we've got some piano players. What, every junior church ought to have a piano player. Why aren't we forward in our talent? Well, I don't feel comfortable playing. What, for a bunch of kids? Have you ever heard them sing? Have you ever heard the leader sing? Trust me, the best thing it'll be, I don't care if you sound like, like little Linus on... Of peanuts playing Beethoven. Dun, 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 dun. It'd be better than nothing. Preacher, you're getting crazy. I know. Here's the thing. If your efforts and investment are simply earthly, if you don't forward some things ahead, everything you've invested your life in will be burned up. Turn over to 2 Peter 3.10 and we're done. Maybe today you're here as everyone's turning. You've never thought about God and the Lord Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. Have you ever wondered why? If I could be a good enough person to get to heaven, if my good can outweigh my bad, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? 
Why did he have to come and be mocked and maligned and mistreated by humanity, his own creation, if I could be good enough to get there? Why would he endure that? Why would he put up with that? Why would he suffer like he did if I could honestly earn my way into heaven? I'll tell you why, because you can't. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God says you're going to get no reason to say, not one reason to pat yourself on the back, never. It's all going to be him. Sometimes I think if we were more aware of that reality alone, we might be more apt to be grateful and show it through our living. We forget sometimes that it's not anything we did, it's everything he did for us. Notice what it says in 2 Peter 3.10. If we fail to forward things, if we use our talent on earth, go ahead and, and you got a talent to sing. Go ahead and get on what show, I, I think I saw there's a show called um, Talent. Let's see, I, you, no, that's Think You Can Dance. That's the one I was on. But, but uh, um, no, I'm talking about the singing shows. There's these, all these singing shows. Even America's Got Talent thing. Uh, okay, I'm just saying. You get on there and you use your talent. For God be the glory. And you sing for God. Yeah, right, whatever. We know that wasn't what you'd sing. You'll use your talents for the earth, earthly things. you use your talents for selfish re- means. Let me tell you something. Here's what's going to happen to your talents. Here's what's going to happen to your investment on earth. You're talented with your hands, and you can do anything with your hands. You've got an ability to fix things or create or whatever it might be, and you use it for earthly things. You use it so that you can financially get ahead, so that you have a, a future financially, so that you can have material gain, so that you can enjoy your life here on earth, and you disregard eternity. Here's how it's going to end. Second Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which heavens, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. You see this? You see, see this over here, this, this little earth here at the right corner? See, at the end of the millennium, when the great white throne judgment's taking place, remember how the judgment seat of Christ, while it was taking place, there was... The judgment, the tribulation taking place on earth at the same time. Well, while the great white throne's taking place, I get the sneaking suspicion that this earth's going to be burned up. And that's when the new heaven and new earth will be formed. Wait a second. Do you know what's still left on earth? Everything you did for earthly goals and gain. Everything you did that wasn't forwarded is still left behind. And you know what's going to end up? Burned up gone. It'll have no value, no purpose, serve no purpose whatsoever. You want to finish strong? And I, 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 I got to believe you do. I mean, you're here, right? But even a pastor, as pastor of Community Baptist Temple, if I'm not careful, I lose sight of the future and I get caught up in the immediate, the temporal, the earthly. We've got to be careful we don't lose sight of what's most important. And if we want to finish strong, we need to keep our eyes on that judgment seat and realize there's a day coming when we're going to give an account and that there's a potential reward and that reward can be gathered and cast at the feet of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
that we'll have something to give back for everything he's done for us. But if I live my life selfishly, if I don't wholeheartedly, completely, and totally give myself to him, if I don't yield my abilities, my talents, my time, my treasures to him, when I die, I'll go, but nothing will have been sent forward. And the earth is simply going to be burned up and I'll have nothing to offer him in gratitude. May God help us to finish strong. And if you're lost without Christ today, I want you to know that he loved you so much that he did die on Calvary for you. He paid for your sin that day. That's why he died. So that you wouldn't have to pay for your sin. He paid in your place. Won't you trust him today? Won't you receive him even today? Won't you allow him to be your Lord? He says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The name of the Lord. You have to understand who he is. He is God in flesh. He came to earth and he lived a sinless, perfect life for you. I called upon the name of the Lord. I understand who he is according to scripture. I realize that he is God who became man and he was God man and that he lived a sinless, perfect life and he died on Calvary to pay for my sin. His precious blood atones for my wickedness and my sin. Washes my sin away. I want him to wash my sin. I want him to be in my life. I need Jesus or I'll never make it to heaven because he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Won't you trust him today? And as a believer, what are you sending forward? What am I sending forward? Will you and I finish strong? Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the simplicity of your word. We ask that you'd bless us and help us. We need you now, Lord. May you be glorified in all that's said and done. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's all